Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So this, so today, right, I went to college with this man, and it's kind of funny. Like we was making fun of each other. Like you know, we didn't have an opportunity to talk really since college, but you know, we've been watching each other behind the scenes, and what he's been doing has been so phenomenal. Like I've been trying to get him on the show for for a minute, so I'm really excited about having him. So today, I'm going to name this man the the Daydreamer Boss, and I want you to kind of tell people, like you know, like. Well, you, you, this, this show is yours. I mean, this floor is yours. So, I mean, you set it off. Like, what are we going to talk about and what are we going to go from here next? Well, what we're going to talk about first is how um, basically everything that I do is basically off of your theory on what um, we experienced when I was in college. So, let me tell you a little bit about this man in oh, our college days. And when, when, when he gets to the story, he's going to pretty much laugh about it. So, we we here in college. Uh, we're not going to name the years we in college because that's definitely going to show our age. Because I know you got it in your face, and I got it right here on my little chin, this little gray hair out here. But so one 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 time, you know, the big phenomenon was the Matrix. And everybody everybody was talking about the Matrix, how the Matrix is this and this that. And then when the finale, nobody knew what basically what was what was this about. So. I come in and I walk by and then, you know, we all talking. I think you was working at the cage at the time, right? Or something like that. I was like, yeah, man, we like, how's this going to end? This guy over here says, yo, all of this is just a video game. He was like, basically what's going to happen is, is that it's just going to be a video game. It's going to be the end of it. He's going to basically hit the power button, hit the video game. It's going to turn off. And I was saying to myself, I was like, yo, if this fool says that, if this fool really thinks that this is going to be the ending of a video game and this is actually true, I'm going to be pissed off. What was that, 20 years later with Matrix Resurrections? Lo and behold, it was a daggone video game. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. But I literally saw, but I literally was like, yo, he's in a game of cards. I was like, damn it. This guy was on, like, it took 20 years. It took 20 years. I was like, like, yo, he, 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 he hit it. But it was 20 years ago. So with that being said, that's where, when we're talking about it, different mindsets. Yeah. Different mindset, different perspectives. And that's where more so when, when I daydream or when someone says, how you daydream when someone daydreams they 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 dream different Mm -hmm. it's basically taking whatever they see out here and they just looking at it from a different perspective and that's basically kind of the essence of what i did with daydream academy and that's really kind of more the essence of just me Mm -hmm. um i just see things differently i i see things from different perspectives and more importantly just even from an entrepreneur entrepreneurial standpoint we just we just there's just people who just see things differently Hmm. it's basically like the matrix code 
Mm-hmm. We see the matrix code a lot differently than the normal person would or, or the everyday person does. So yeah, man, that that story was a great synopsis of basically my basically everyday thinking and yeah. I was like, this guy really said it was a video game and he ended up becoming a video game. It pissed you off 20 years after the fact, man. Man, I was like, damn it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do I do remember that. I mean, I remember I was sitting there like, yo, Neo's nothing more than an old school floppy disk in, inside of a system. I remember saying all that crazy shit and everybody was looking at me like I was a mad scientist, but the reality that it came to be, right? Yeah. So I, I want to talk about like you for a minute. I mean, obviously like seeing your journey and, and seeing like, you know, comics and drawing illustrations and you took that entire aspect like you said you think differently like you dream outside the box and you took the comic drawing and you kind of made it into an education platform for stem students i want to like talk about like that journey for a minute like how did you even like compile these different fragmentations of different art sections and combine them into this where you are right now basically it, it all came from the art institute of atlanta and it also even came from how I was taught as a kid. So basically, Daydreamer Academy is pretty much teaching and educating kids the way most kids are being or need to learn right now. Yeah. We, are, we are not in a space or in a world where traditional, you sit down, you hear a lecture, and you basically... Um, try to comprehend it or try to absorb it, or you sit down in books and stuff like that and you comprehend it. No, we're in a space where, especially in this digital age, to feel, to see, and to hear to hear things is the way people learn. And that's what I, that's basically what I learned at the Art Institute of Atlanta because I was originally supposed to be going to Morehouse, man. And when I wasn't able to go to Morehouse, it was kind of more of a blessing in disguise because, as you know, in the Art of Atlanta, it ain't it wasn't your traditional sit down for forty five minutes, listen to a lecture, go write a twenty page thesis statement. Yeah. Nah, it was like here's your camera, here's access to the computer lab, go make me a thirty second commercial, go make me a twenty second um, um, PSA. Go do a graphic design work. Go do stuff like that. It was more about the doing than it was about the sitting down and, and lecturing. And that basically changed my whole mindset on what is going to make you, because you know in the media field, it's a competitive field, man. Like we were we were there trying to basically do work and try to be best of show and basically trying to do showcases and things like that. And at the end of the day, it's like, what is going to make you different? What differentiates you from everybody else? Mm-hmm. And I originally went to the artists of Atlanta because I love comics and I wanted to do comic books. But my issue was I couldn't draw if my life depended on it. Now, I could draw a mean stick figure for you, but to actually draw, I could not draw if my life depended on it. So I was like, okay, let me find some other solutions on how I want to visually express my storytelling, mm-hmm. right? So that's when I went to the Arts of Atlanta. Originally, I went there for graphic design, but then, of course, that's when the digital media production um, degree came where you could take graphic design, video, all this stuff, and then basically put it together. Mm-hmm. And what that did was, was 
it made me realize that I can take different forms of media to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, all this is telling a story. This podcast is telling a story. Facebook is telling a story. All the social media, everything is kind of telling a story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of more of the essence of what Daydreamer Academy is. It's, it's kind of telling a story, but then more so on the business end of it, I had to find, I heard this quote from, I think it was um, Reverend Run. He's like, people don't get paid for problems. People get paid to get to create solutions mm-hmm. for the problems. And that has always been kind of my business model when I was doing media production work with my, with Neo Bino group. My, basically my model was service is our solution. Hmm. And it was like, let's identify a problem and I'll have a solution for it. And I realized that I was getting more traction. I was getting more, let's say I was getting paid more and getting paid more lucratively having solutions for people than basically telling stories and creating problems. And again, like, you know, when we're, you know, in the media production world and the media field that we're in, you know, it's like, well, you know, I could find me or someone to videotape my wedding for cheaper. What makes you different? Um, I could go get an intern from the artist to Atlanta that's going to pay you. What's going to make you different? And I realized that when I would basically do those type of gigs, mm-hmm. I think you should, you already know, you get paid little for doing so much different work. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you really didn't create a solution. You just basically created more of a problem for yourself. I, I think it's definitely funny that, that you bring that up and you, you, and it's like, obviously I went art to with you. Right. And like my mm-hmm. problem w- with that environment was like, they were so hell bent on teaching you like, to push the buttons, like to become a button pusher. They were teaching you like the core principles of design, but the one thing that you picked up outside and I picked up outside as well, and that's why we are who we are, is like the business. Like, okay, not only do I know how to push the buttons, but how do I market? How do I sell this? And that's what you're talking to is like, okay, yeah, what makes you unique? What's your value proposition versus I can just go get an intern and get it for less? Like that point of converging a sale, closing a deal, I think that was the element that was missing in that education that we got at in that environment. I mean, would you confirm that? Yeah, because I, I, I'm trying to remember, we had no business management classes. Like the the only thing that we had as far as from a a back end admin perspective was more project management, and the and the project management class that we took was just basically more so about scope, time, and service. They never said anything about pricing out your um pricing out your work i don't even remember us even having a legal class on the the legality you know what i'm saying like every single thing we had was about doing the work yeah 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 and it was never about what happens when the work that you do is not protected Mm -hmm. and someone steals your work yeah but you know what i mean what happens if again and that's why I said, you know, that's why I wanted to tell that story about you, because, again, like you said, you, there was, there's everybody's going to have theories. Everybody's going to have this simple kind of conclusion. But when someone thinks outside the box and you're like, what? 
it's like, okay, you're on a different mindset, you're a different level of thinking that basically, I would say what 80% of the world can't comprehend. And, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very different um, aspect. But like you said, man, we never had what, no business management classes, none of that stuff like that. Not even marketing. Like not, not at that. Yeah. We didn't even have a marketing class. We, we, we were learning how to do stuff for marketing purposes to get paid, to get paid by a marketing firm, but we never got, we never got the opportunity. And I think we're past the statute of limitations. So I'm going to kind of spill the beans on some of the stuff that I know I did. I don't, I'm not going to talk about you, but you know, used to rent out the cameras on the weekends and go shoot weddings, you know, just saying, you know, but Hey, hustler, but, always a hustler, man. but, but, but that's the thing, right? It was like, we saw, like, I saw, I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not incriminating you, but it was like, I saw, I was like, so what you're telling me is that I can check out this camera, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Somebody want me to do a wedding? Somebody want me to do something? Cool. I'll do my projects, but yeah, I'm still going to maximize my um, efforts yeah. while yeah. paying an exorbitant amount of tuition and money. I think <laughs> it's definitely funny. I mean, you're defining yourself definitely as a, as a through-and-through hustler and you have the business savviness. So the next question is kind of like, if you could define yourself in three to five words, like how would you, what words would you even choose to compact yourself? Um. A person who dreams different. Hmm. Um, I'm different. I can even just leave it at one word, different. Um, uh, I I think different. I see things differently. Um, I even have a different lifestyle that normal people won't think I do you know I have right I listen to all types of music I'm 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 a sponge where in which I'm open to different perspectives different philosophies different types of things because well that was one class that we had was a philosophy class and the philosophy teacher said always always say to yourself I don't know what I don't know and if you keep saying I don't know what I don't know it opens your mind to learning and that's what basically it is. So defining myself, I would say in under five words, I dream different. Hmm. Pretty much. I think, I think it's definitely funny that that you brought up the philosophy class. I mean, I remember uh, one thing that I got, not from a philosophy teacher, I think it was probably from like a, um, a video, a video teacher. And they were saying, if you've not, if you've never get, if you, if you have not gotten arrested for your art, then you're not an artist. And when I heard that, I was just kind of like, so the, the reality is, is like most people are, are staying in the safe zone. And if you're staying in the safe zone, then you're, you're the mundane, you're the, the normality. And that, that's like the status quo. And the second that you break that status quo, and like you're saying, think differently, then by all means, the people and the general public is going to look at you as not an asset, but somebody that's alienated. And by becoming alienated, then you become arrested or whatever it is. And I'm sitting here thinking about like Kanye West is, is a hell of an example of that. 
Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, he, he breaks the mold to the point to where he uses the mold to, to create the next mold over and over again. So what I want to ask you next is, like, being that we're in that space of mind, like, and I'm bringing up Kanye as, as, a, as a solid example, like, how did you transition? Like, like you were saying, that you, you didn't draw, so then you came up with a comic book, and then that comic book became a successful comic book. I mean, it was to the point to where I think you were speaking on particular stages about, like, your illustration styles and, and about the, the, the books that you were creating at like comic-con and other events like that so like how did that how did that come to be so how that came to be um and then we talked about it earlier you know being an entrepreneur you have to have a different mindset and there's different levels basically it all became it, it all became from failures because i originally did do comic books i basically got with a bunch of kit bunch of dudes from the artists of atlanta we did do comic books and we did do com comic conventions and it was fun as hell and end of the day, there was no money. Mm. I'm still broke. And it was like, man, this is fun and all, but there's a lot of expenses that's happening. There's, there's no money to be made. So a lot of it basically came from failures. Here's an amazing thing. And here's a crazy thing that I don't even think um, you probably even don't know. I have not put my books out on Amazon, mm. stores, or anywhere else. And I probably have sold more books than the next independent person that's doing pretty much the same thing. All my sales for books came from either contract contracts or organizational stuff. And the reason why that 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 came to be is because I was working with an entrepreneur that again, this man had ridiculous amounts of money. And everybody kept saying, how in the world did he get his money? Mm. You know, this man is not on social media. Matter of fact, I know two entrepreneurs, multimillionaires, not millionaires, multimillionaires, two entrepreneurs. They're not on social media. They don't even have a website for their business or their business, their, their business acumen. One made his money basically doing charter schools and acquiring property and putting charter schools and property together. So basically it increases his financial portfolio. One, one did logistics, but he did logistics in a way where, and as it's been used today, he's doing logistics where instead of him owning the freight and owning the trucks and things like that, he subcontracts mm. the, the freights and trucks. And when I saw that stuff, I was like, they thought differently. You know what I'm saying? Again, most people, when they, when, when they say, let's go to the logistics guy, right? Yeah. Most people say if they're going to be in logistics, I mean, it, it's, it's norm now, but they say they go into shipping and freighting and things like that. He even said so himself. He, this was his third iteration of the business because it failed twice. And one of the reasons why it failed twice is because we think of how much money they're going to make if they have 10, 10 trucks mm -hmm. and they have, you know, three sites and things like that nature. That's overhead. So therefore, you already behind the back burner and what you're expending and things of that nature. He taught me and I learned that you like the you do not need to go get a, a, a 
20 page business plan. You don't need to go, you don't, certain things, you don't need to go get a loan. He said, he literally said, you need to start your business without getting not a single loan and use your own money. Hmm. And I was like, what is you talking about? Like everybody keeps talking about, you know, they had to get a thousand dollar loan and they had to do all this. And the same thing with the comic books. It was like, I had to basically buy a thousand comic books in order basically to be a thing. He said, no, figure a way to basically get your first deal without even spending money. And that's when, again, thinking different. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was forced to when I was in the media productions stuff too, I was forced to saying, how do I convince people to buy into what I'm selling without having the thing I'm selling? Mm-hmm. Nice. And that's how and that's how and that's how the books came about. So the way I identified a solution with the books was that I did a um I did my first book which is called Daydreamer and it's basically about the main character Animus. And then um I met a teacher and she was like, man, this book is awesome. It has, you know, has people that look like us and things like that. And he's like, man, I sure wish that there was some way I can use this for my for my kids and for my school. And I was like, well, why not? He's like, well, I can only use my um my budget on things that's more educational and stuff like that. So I was like, okay. So if I was to basically write it where there's like lessons and things of that nature, or it fits something, will that work? He's like, yeah, you can definitely give it a try. So I basically did some research and look into the market. There was nobody. And still to this day, there's nobody who's actually doing comic book storylines that basically have lessons and lessons aligned the way that Daydream Academy is. Scholastics, they have books, but it's more about like storybooks, like your Hardy Boys and your your other stuff. But nobody is in the market of literally writing stories specifically for educational purposes or specifically for gray levels so what i did was again problem there's not enough there's not enough educational content for people that look like us that basically can speak to helping kids learn solution i mean i've done media production work i know how to basically produce stuff on a very affordable level and i can I can retrofit whatever the storyline is telling a story to basically complement what your problem is. So you have a problem with kids understanding science in fifth grade? Bet. I will, I will basically have a story that talks about similar things in science. I will make it look cool. It will have teacher, you tell me your, your teacher words and I'll put it in there. My, my selling point is always, when I speak to educators, I take educated, I take your educating stuff, educators, and I speak kid. Mm. 
And that's where the solution came in because if, if, if I knew that this was going to work, I could not, I could not, and just know not to, just know not to other comic book creators and things like that. I can't spend my time going to comic book conventions in a place, again, that's saturated with all that other stuff. I need to go into places where I need to provide a solution to them. And I always tell people, I'm not in the business of selling books. I'm in the business of educating kids and having kids have ownership on their learning. I think that's a fascinating story because, I mean, in publication, and again, you know, publication is one monster by itself. Comic book is a whole other monster by itself. Education is is another monster by itself. And seamlessly what you've done is collaborated all three of them into one module and you have enough of the demand because, again, like this thing could not only be national, it could be local, national, and global, right? All you have to do is, is essentially change the lingo, right? If they're, if they're talking about um, math in Asia, you could do the Asian math, right? If you're talking about U.S., you can do that. Again, if you're talking about U.K., you can do that, but using the same exact characters. So, again, you have a supply line that's an infinite, and you're like the only vendor in that supply chain right now. Yeah. So when you, I like what you said about like, like selling more books, right? And again, like people are trying to sell books on Amazon, which is not a bad platform. But for yeah. you, you was like, okay, everyone is doing that. So how do I go around that? So like the next part of like this, this question is like telling this story is like, how the hell did you get that book? Because again, people have tried to get their books in schools before, but you've actually done it. And that's the difference between the two. It's like, what was that? What was that, that eureka moment? Was it, was it a contact? Was it just looking at what the, the requirements were and fulfilling those requirements? Like, how did that happen? Um, it, it, it actually went, it ha- actually happened with that teacher. So it was basically when I saw that and um, I actually, so after she said that, I basically knew another educator and I actually worked with her, her name is Stephanie. I worked with her and I said, look, I want to create a I want to create a book and it needs to specifically be just specifically education. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, I'm not gonna at this point, it's just gonna be insane for us to try to tackle all the grades. Let's choose a grade, choose a choose a standard, and let's roll with it. Right? Okay. And then it was like, okay, we chose this, we chose fifth grade, we chose a standard, and we roll with it. And then the more she kept saying stuff educating wise the more i was like okay i'm gonna take what you're saying educator wise and know in my media mind and how i learned how to make this fun for a kid Hmm. so that's when the whole daydreamer platform came because what happens in the daydreamer platform is that um the book and the program are synonymous so what happens is that a kid learns how to become a stem agent they take a STEM assessment to see what kind of agent they become. So let's say they're in technology. They will basically go through the program, which is a customized program to whatever the school or the organization wants. Mm-hmm. And then the kid actually becomes a STEM agent. And then we offer in our platform that kids can actually be super agents and their face and their image and likeness will be in the next book. Mm. Mm. That's that's fucking ingenious. Cause you, you pretty much took the NFT model before NFTs were fucking in existence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what happens is is that 
the kid the kid now is invested mm-hmm. guess who else is invested the kid parents they want to see their babies and something yeah yeah if the kid is invested and the kid parents are invested what that makes the solution for the teachers a lot easier the challenge was for me to as far as me being a storyteller to keep it as open as possible that fits anything and everything like you said if uk has different standards uk don't even do grades uk does uk does years what i know for sure is no matter where you go, what, what country you're from, there's always going to be science, there's always going to be math, yeah. and there's always going to be English. Eng- English as far as literature, you know, and school. We went to Arnsville Atlanta. We still had to take math classes. <laughs> yeah. We still had to take English classes. So coming with the reality, knowing that there's always going to be those things, it's just basically spoken differently i had to and i'm telling you this did not take this was not no overnight thing this was many trial and error it took me about i would say two years to really grasp the platform of it and to be honest i'm not even going to lie to you it's still people still trying to figure it out not not people educators are still trying to figure it out because again educators have that mindset Everybody have this mindset, especially when they're space. How does this speak to standards, Nick? How does this do this? Because again, with the educator mind, they're talking about, okay, how do I increase test scores so therefore we can get funding? How do I basically increase graduation rates? They're on a one-track educator mind. Mm. So again, it's still it's still a difficult thing to have people understand and explain because sometimes even people say, Hey, there goes Nick, the comic book guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I try to tell people I don't sell comic books, I sell experiences and platforms to help kids with stuff using the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And they can't comprehend that though. I mean, I I think mm -hmm. they can't separate the two, the two spaces. No. And and they can't separate two spaces, but they're intrigued enough because of, we're in an age right now, man, where it used to be athletes and musicians and all that stuff that used to be the role models. Mm-hmm. Fictional characters are the 21st century role models. You know why? Go to Dragon Con and go see what people are dressed up as. Yeah. Yeah. When Black Panther hit, game changer. Everybody. <laughs> Especially in our community, mm. they had something to grab to, mm. and it's a fictional character. Mm-hmm. What you can do with a fictional character, they don't die. They can change. They can evolve, mm-hmm. and that's the different. That's the mindset that I had to come up with. Was that I'm creating something that's fictional, that can ever change and ever evolve. And we talked, and we talked about it in the beginning, man. This is this, this is this is kind of like, and it's just even with entrepreneur. This is like this is like raising a child. Mm-hmm. They're gonna change every single year. You gotta have to deal with something else different. 
So with them changing, you have to change as well. So I'm not looking forward to going seeing my daughter in the teens, man, because I already know what that is. You already told me how that is, but <laughs> but again, it's it's a whole different ball game, and it's no different from being an entrepreneur, no different from being a boss. If you're not open to change, you're not going to be able to make it, man. Yeah, I'm happy you brought up brought up the kids because it kind of leads me to like my next question is like you have a pretty like diverse background. And I mean, obviously your last name is kind of alluding to it a little bit, right? So, oh yeah. <laughs> so let's, 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 let's get that, that elephant out the room real quick. Like, like what kind of home bringing and what kind of background and can I talk about like, like your nationality a little bit. So, um, um, my mother was, my mother was Jamaican and my father was, um, part Jamaican and part Chinese, pretty much Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't have, um, my father in my life. I only met him like one time. So, um, I was raised more by my mother and raised more by my mother and by my, um, my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a Caribbean family that we had Hold on for one second. Yeah. So, um, in a Caribbean in a Caribbean family in a Caribbean household, you're not allergic to work. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> yeah, you're straight not allergic to work. Um, you've been you 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 work since you can basically get up and say if you get if you get up and can lift about five pounds. Guess who's taking out the trash? You are. Um, guess who's cleaning? You know. So I've been with um, a family and culture that just basically was not alert to work. So therefore, I think my work ethic part of it and my um, determination part of it came from that um, background. My mother was very unique in the sense that, and maybe this is the, I guess, the Asian part of me, she was the creative side. Mm -hmm. Like I remember times where, cause she was sick, so she had cancer. So therefore she couldn't really do like normal working things. So she would kind of be basically with me. And we basically would find so many different creative things to do. I remember, I remember one time she would basically create beads out of safety pins mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I was like, well, let's go sell them. And we were trying to sell them at little markets and things of that nature. She was actually the one where I was having a problem reading. Um, if you give me a novel that had a bunch of lines, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so she actually gave me this Batman book where it was very short lines, but therefore there was an activity involved. So like it was, for instance, if Batman was something happening with the penguin, what should Batman do? Turn to page five if he has to go fight the penguin turn to page 32 if he has to go do that she she also worked in daycare as well but she really vested in me in different ways to learn and to be honest she was the one that made me think different mm -hmm. being a being a kid who who 
you know, has a single mother who has, uh, who has cancer and who's sick and the things that I had to see and the things that I had to, to go through and for her to be vested in me and the different ways to be vested, um, that really was the turning point in everything. She made she made me look at things differently. She she made she was the one that made me into finding solutions. I remember there was a time where I used to be heavy on GI Joes, and I would always lose the the swords or whatever the case the GI Joes. Of course, she didn't work. She didn't have money. So what we'll do is like you know the ice cream truck guy will come. I will get the popsicle sticks, cut them up, and make them into swords or cut them up and make them into different things. Um, I remember we would take milk cartons. Um, when was working, when I know she was working at daycare, we would take the milk cartons that kids used to drink and things of that nature, and I would basically build forts and basically build different things. Hmm. We, she and especially my family, we knew how to maximize what we had. But she was the one to not only maximize what you have, but make it fun and make it a learning experience. So that's where my creativity came from. And my last name, here's a funny thing about my last name. When I was doing video production work and... um, (laughs) I was doing production work and, you know, I think that LinkedIn was not the big, big at the time or whatever case may be, but I purposely did not put my face Hmm. nor anything of how I looked on social media. And when people would refer me, they're like, okay, yeah, Nicholas who he's great. They would never refer, they would never refer to what I look like. And a funny story is <laughs> I got so much different business from people just looking at my last name and saying who, and I actually will try to close the business deal on the phone with them. Mm. And then when I close the deal and they come see me, they're like, oh, didn't know. And you know, in my mind, I'm like, you well, if you, stuff, right? well, if you didn't know, would you have still hired me? Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, that my my last name, even though there's many jokes and bad jokes about my last name, who it, I took it to my advantage as well. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. I mean, like hearing that, and uh, you always hear about like mixed nationalities and stuff like that, and like you uh-huh. know uh, the opportunity, right? When the opportunity persists itself, like how do you capitalize on it? So obviously, you capitalize on on the fact that you have an Asian last name, and the fact that you had enough insight to kind of like block who you were, so that way the stereotypical stereotype of well, maybe mm, all that shit goes out the window. Now it's just like logistics. Is can he do the job? Can he do the job well? Can he do the job on time? And once mm-hmm. that was out, the, once they closed the deal, there's nothing else they could say at that point in time. They can't really renege on it. You know, if they could, they probably would. But ideally, mm-hmm. you did the job and you move forward. So that kind of brings me back to, like, the story you were talking about your mom. Like, so with all the in, in, ingenuity and insight that you have from the business standpoint, obviously, we talked about you didn't get that from the academy that we went to. We, we didn't get it mm-hmm. from college. 
is there someone that you could think about in your family that has the entrepreneurial insight that maybe you've gotten some of that from before you got into the mentor stage of having mentors that were teaching you the ropes? Um, in my, in my family in particular, not really. Um, I would say that, um, my uncle would basically do a lot of, um, side jobs. I know he used to do a lot of delivery stuff. He would like deliver fish and things of that nature. I had a lot of uncles. Um, one of my other uncles, uncle Desmond, he, he was the career man. Mm -hmm. Um, he basically had a job and he basically, he still had this job to this day. Um, and was on the higher up. Um, but a, a lot of, uh, especially in, in Caribbean, but especially just virtually anywhere, anywhere you can go in a family, especially where they has, where there's mostly a single parent, things like that. There's always an uncle who's a mechanic. There's always an uncle who can do stuff like that. So I would say from an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial standpoint, we call it hustling because you know, I remember someone would go to my other uncle to get their car fixed. And of course, it was always cash or whatever the case may be. And I remember that's where the hustle mentality came from was like, yo, if you're good at something, people will pay you to do it. Yep. And I remember just basically, you know, doing that hustle. So I would say a lot from my, my uncles and What's funny is that, like I said, my uncles, my other, my uncles that were doing like mechanic delivering and just doing the hustling type of stuff, I learned the hustle of how to do the hustle. Mm. I learned the professionalism from my uncle Desmond, mm. the one who basically had he he's in radiology, he's in radiology now. I learned professionalism and how to carry yourself professionally from him so it's i would say mainly my uncles whether it's what whether they were the hustler or the professional it was uh i learned it from them i learned it from them i would say the main people um the main two people i can really say i learned from a business side were the two um entrepreneurs the multimillionaires that i basically worked for um, I, man, you, you cannot pay enough tuition money to, to gain that experience that I've gained mm -hmm. good, bad, or indifferent. We talked about it. There is, you cannot go to school. There is no school for entrepreneurship. You have to live entrepreneurship. It's just like a doctor in a residency. You're going to have to go through some stuff. You're going to have to see some stuff. And you're going to have to recover from some stuff in order to be an entrepreneur. There's no... People could write books about it, but if you ain't doing it and you ain't living it, yeah. you, you're, not, you're not one, in yeah. my opinion. Totally agree with you. I totally agree. I mean, the thing, the other insight that, that you and I both share, we both come from like the Caribbean background, the Caribbean families. I mean, you're Jamaican and I'm Trinidadian. So mm -hmm. this kind of leads me into like, you know, with that hustle mentality, like island people, like family is central, right? So in today's world, like obviously, you know, you, you have like your significant other, you have your, your daughter. How do you currently manage or juggle like your work life with your family life? Uh, 
one day at a time. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, communication is key. Mm. Communication is key. They, um, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that can be, uh, I think, relationship buster or anything is communication. If you don't clearly communicate, okay, can this needs to happen, or can we do this? Whatever case may be, then everything's going to fall through. You can't, you can't live life through assumptions. You can't live life through things. I know uh, I can always determine and understand a lot of our disagreements and discussions come from, well, I thought you were going to do this. Well, I thought you were going to do that. Mm, it needs to be, okay, this, this time and this time, I can definitely clear. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm not a time manager per se, but I am more so I need to put it on a piece of paper from this time to this time. I'll take care of this from this time to this time. I'll take care of this. And if we're on agreement, okay, agree, break. And that helps a lot with making other schedules, making other stuff like that, knowing that, okay, from this slot to this slot, nothing else is happening, but you know, family time or daughter time. And once that is established, then it's easy for, it's kind of easy for me to say, okay, can't do it that time because I'm taking care of this or can't do it that time. I'm taking care of that. So I think just having clear communication is going to be so paramount. You can't live on the world of assumptions and huh. well, I, well, I thought, because huh. when you start saying, well, I thought, it's just goes downhill from there. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a good segue to talk about, like, you know, obviously you talk about clear and defining time frame. So what does your morning habits, your morning rituals look like? Okay. So morning rituals, I generally wake up. My, my internal clock now has me waking up at around 530. Uh-huh. Um, basically, I try to um, wake up at 530 because my daughter wakes up around six or six or so. And just like we talked about, I made it clear. I was like, I want to take her to daycare. Hmm. I will, I will be that was, I will, I will, I want to do that hmm. every single day. So I make sure that I don't schedule no meetings or nothing till after nine o'clock. Hmm. So um, I get up, I'll have some um, coffee I'll take a ginkgo so I can get my mind ready for whatever is going to happen and whatever creative and insane thoughts are going on in my brain with caffeine. Maybe that's not a good combination. I don't know, but that's what I, that's what helps me in the morning. <laughs> um, then, you know, I, I try to leave the house around six thirty-seven to take my daughter to, to daycare. And then when I take my daughter to daycare, nine times out of 10, I don't have a meeting or anything like that. till probably around 10 or 11. And when I don't, that's when I take the beginning of the day to, um, I have my to-do list. So let's just say uh, I have to go finish a book or finish a, a lesson plan or things like that. I'll take the beginning of the, the beginning of when I drop her off and have a, have my first meeting mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and I'm literally, I'm literally checked out. And when I mean checked out, I have my headphones on, listening to Dead Mouse, looking at my computer, and just finishing up stuff. Huh. And then 
like I said, I try to have my meetings around 11 or so. I'll, if I have one meeting or something like that, I'll have that meeting. And then I try to um, work out around two o'clock because um, generally two o'clock is generally when, you know, people say that's when you start lagging and getting tired and things like that. So I try to work out at two o'clock to kind of revive my mind back again to kind of get that, that quote unquote second wind. So I'll get that second wind, um, kind of do some more work. If there's anything, if there's any emails or anything I have to respond to or address, I will take between that time after I work out and when my daughter comes because, um, she she generally comes back to the house like around four or five or so, four thirty. I try to address anything that I, I had to address, whether it's finishing a proposal, responding to emails or things of that nature. Um five o'clock, five thirty, I'm generally trying to cook dinner. Between six between six and seven, that is daddy time. And I'm not trying to do anything else besides daddy time between six and seven. Huh. Um, and then she goes to bed at seven, seven o'clock. Between seven and I will say 11, I'm working on stuff. And what it is is that between seven and 11, I noticed that that's more of my creative time. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that I have to be in the creative space, like for instance, if I have to be in the creative space of trying to match a lesson to what the story is, or right now I'm finishing up another book that's supposed to be coming out in a month or so. So that will be the time where I'm just doing the creative side of it, you know, because again, that's the time where I'm, that's the time, that's the time where I'm a little bit, more creative instead of more business hmm. in a sense. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a pretty, pretty scripted day. So like just going back to like, like your books. And I think we, we talked about your books. We talked about them, not just being comic books. They're more than comic books. They're essentially a platform. But one thing you alluded to earlier on was like, you saying that you don't draw. So are you outsourcing the illustrations? I mean, do you have in-house teams? Like how does, how does that, that work as far as you have the visual idea? How does that visual idea go from your head into creation? Everything I do is outsourced. Even even with the um, the lesson plans or everything or instructional stuff, everything I do is outsourced. So I do um, outsource. I intentionally try to outsource to um, black or brown people, um, the the people that kind of look like us. Um, I generally try to outsource to them, um, and then. Um, when I when I outsource to them, most of the times they provide the line artwork. I still like to do some of the coloring or still like to do some of the graphic work on the storyline and on the book. Um, but generally now my time my dimes and days are getting busy, so I'll outsource that as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, as far as lesson plans and things are concerned, when I um, meet with someone and I know what their objective is 
then I will, if I don't already have the lesson plans or the, the, the structural stuff for it, that's when I will contract someone to say, okay, can you just develop this specifically for this? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I do a lot of project managing now, which is a great thing. Um, and I basically try to put all the pieces together. I still, I, st- I still love doing graphic design work and I still love doing the video work. So I try to always sneak in some graphic work or some design work here and there. But most of the stuff is pretty much outsourced. Um, I do have, but I, but I do have about a good five or six people, whether it be artists, illustrators, or educators or instructors that I kind of work with. Um, I know, I know, I know their style. I know their turnaround times and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That that right there was also a trial and error. A lot of money being spent for a lot of artists who don't finish stuff and yeah so yeah yeah i have a pretty i have a pretty good i think i have a pretty good pool of artists and a pretty good pool of educators um that i can get whatever i need to get fulfilled or um completed yes i mean you're running it essentially like a publication so where you're like the chief editor and like you're you're pulling all the components together and you do the final approval on it which is definitely interesting i mean considering like your, your comment that you made earlier about you would read books and the books would put you to sleep so it kind of leads me to like your next question is like on that journey, right? Again, you've had entrepreneurs and anytime you have like successful entrepreneurs, they're going to then recommend some books. So my next question is like, what books were recommended to you in that transitional period that you actually had time to sit down and read and got value from? <laughs> uh, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and it's basically filled with comic books. <laughs> um so the Tower of Pooh was one. Mm. Um, one is called 18 Minutes. Um, 18 Minutes, that's more about um, project management. And I knew that that was going to kind of be more my wheelhouse. Mm. Um, the Power of Broke by Damon John. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, the any, I, I did not get recommended any any entrepreneurship books. The only thing I got recommended as far as entrepreneurship books were the the instant series, like instant cash flow, instant leads, and I forgot what the other one is. But honestly, I did not get recommended any books. Hmm. Like that, that's and that's the crazy thing. I everything that I learned was from literal experience. And what I saw, and what I saw that what I saw that did not work, and what I saw that technically did work, and what I saw that can work, but you just need to adjust it this way. Everything that I learned and where I am to this day is what, but what I saw and what I experienced. <laughs> I don't even remember, man. I I don't. I, I don't think I even went to a business conference or none of that stuff. Hmm. It's definitely interesting because, I mean, you you got the insight, I guess, you know, not through osmosis, but through trial by fire. And, like, you had to do things and you probably got burnt a couple of times and you're like, you know, I'm not going to do that no more. And then, okay, now this guy is really great, so I'm going to actually use him for more things. So, again, I mean, I would say it's kind of like you got an MBA by experience, right? And, and yeah. it, it's kind of like the better way of getting an MBA. You don't have, like, the connotation of the bill that's associated to that degree to be paying for the next 10 years. So. Yeah. 
talking about time frame of like 10 years, right? This is kind of like a, a dual question. It's kind of like, like how long did it take you to get to where you are right now? Like generally, like, like how long did that journey take and where do you see yourself 10, 20 years from now? So as far as I feel like I'm in the space, I'm in my quote unquote calling. I feel like this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is what I love doing. And this is what I'm getting paid to pretty much do this business, Daydream Academy. It took about since 2015. So about say five to six, we're in 2022. Golly, we're in 2022. Yeah. It took about seven years, six wow. to seven years mm-hmm. um, to be in this spot. And I feel like I, I honestly feel like I still have a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, where I see myself in 10 to 12 years, I see myself, to be honest, man, I see myself um, not necessarily selling this business, but handing this business off to a more um, business-oriented person. And I just become the quote unquote Stan Lee hmm. of it. I I I see myself in ten to 12, 10 to twenty years, um, basically going to board meetings, just basically knowing how how the business is rolling. And I'm like, great, good job, good work, guys, great, awesome. I'm gonna work on this next book, you know, um, basically just basically doing what I'm doing now, but in a much larger scale, providing the input for the next book, saying that, no, this book doesn't need to not need to do that because the kid is not going to learn this way. It needs to look like this. It needs to read like this. And then basically going, basically going to schools and just, I, I see myself even just being an instructor, hmm. even if, even if I'm not, in the business anymore i don't see that going away i'm a big kid man like i love like it the kids energy gives me energy and um i do see myself even 10 years from now when when this business is being run by somebody else and somebody's facing whoever the case may be i still see myself being in the business but being in the business of what I love doing, which is telling stories. Nice. I can totally see see you being like the Stan Lee. So like my like this kind of is an impromptu question is like, you know, have you started injecting your character as like a Stan Lee character having these random cameos throughout your books as of yet? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um I, I, I was try, yeah, I was I gonna try to do that. But I was like, yo, that's just too vain, Nick. Just just let it let it let it roll. Let everybody I mean, else Stanley did it for like 20 years. So and you can have signature the glasses and the headphones on and just be in the back in the library, just chilling, not even saying anything. So I know. I was I yo, when I say I was so tempt, I'm every single like I'm on my on my fifth book, and every single time I'm like, man. I should just put myself like just being that person sitting in the background, but it's like you know how like some people would draw and it just be like bubbles, yeah. but yet you could see my face. That's the only face you see in the background is my face. And I was like, 
Nah. I, I was like, I, I just if the I rather if the kids come if the kids actually see me, it it brings a smile to it brings a smile to my face when they say, "Hey, that's the daydreamer dude." What's up? I rather I rather I rather that than be, actually being in my book, and 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 more importantly, again, the kids when the kids see themselves in the book, that's more rewarding to me than me being in the book. So that, 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 that's that's a good segue to like like final words of wisdom, and I want to pose this question to you, like. Right now, you're dealing with kids, probably age group from like fifth grade to probably middle school. So someone could potentially hear this podcast, let's say in the next five to six years, and they, they hear that your, your your dream for the next 10 to 12 years is to sit back and, and, and be on a board and have a CEO. So the reality is, is one of the kids that you're educating right now could potentially then take that throne. So if you're going to talk to that kid now and you, you have a message to tell him, okay, when your time comes, what words of wisdom would you give to him to keep him moving forward on his journey to potentially becoming the CEO of your company down the road? It's, it's the typical don't keep up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do this to try to impress people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by kicking with the Joneses. Don't do this to try to impress people. And keep asking yourself every day what makes you different if you keep asking yourself every day what makes you different then it will it will keep you in your uncomfortable it'll keep you out of your comfort zone every single day the moment you start you stop asking yourself what makes you different is the moment you're being complacent is the moment that it's just and complacency can complacency is not a word that an entrepreneur needs to be saying. It's it's never a word an entrepreneur says. Like I said, I, I know people who are multimillionaires and they still this guy is this guy I know, he's pretty much close to 80. And this guy is still grinding as if he's like 30. Yeah, they and when hungry. I say they stay hungry. And it's like you're not this this it's not gonna if you it's not gonna change. I don't think it's gonna change. I mean, if you wanna kind of put it in conceptualize it as far as like monetary gains, like when you make your first million dollars, right? It's kind of like, okay, you made your first million, but then it's kind of like you want to keep your your keep your million. So then you get to ten, you're like, okay, I made the ten, I know I've surpassed that million. But the reality mm-hmm. is, it's kind of like this 10 million could disappear anytime. So the, the next thing is 100 million. Then you get to 100 million. It's like, how do I get to a billion? And it's like, like to your point, like, you know, knowing so many different millionaires, like they're on that journey to where, okay, I'm, I'm averaging $3 million per year or $5 million per year. But what's my assets? What am I looking at as far as a growth strategy for the next 20 years? How am I going to get to a billion? I'm not at a billion yet. And even when you get to a billion, it's like, how do I get to 10 billion? And it's not about being greedy, it's about securing. That that bloodline, securing that those assets and securing it to where that money could then be used for something down the road. And what you're doing is education. So thinking about like how does ten million dollars turn to a hundred million dollars to then support this on a global scale? Exactly. And then what but and then another thing what that does is that gives you the freedom to technically do whatever you want. Anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. 
and give and, and give back. And that's the yeah. other thing too. I mean, people don't realize like I had a conversation with my network and growers today. I mean, like money is nothing more than a tool. So if you really want to to to, be, to become an asset and do what you really want to do at scale, you're going to have to have that capital or raise that capital to be able to do that, to be able to give back on that scale. And for you, I, I definitely see what, what you're doing on a global scale, hands down, period. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And and I'm investing education into kids, but I'm also investing equity into kids. Mm-hmm. My thing is, is that I want them to be owners of their own creations Mm -hmm. and and it it starts now Hmm. whether you whether you're making like a little diorama Mm -hmm. i want to take that diorama that you made and the interesting concepts in diorama put it into a 3d artwork and put it in a book so you can be proud so you can say i took this diorama and now I'm 22 years old and I'm an architect that's basically creating green spaces for people. Oh, by the way, now I know how to basically become entrepreneur and start creating green spaces for everybody else. I'm the one that basically took this garden and now I basically own community gardens that basically have food spaces uh, for around 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 the, the globe and i think that's another thing that i wanted to add is is that i also see myself like i said 10 years going to schools and actually going to science fairs mm-hmm. and basically being the proud sponsor for science fairs but then when taking kids projects and not basically just giving them an award but basically giving them funding mm-hmm. to basically take that project to another level mm. yeah and, and because again once once you give kids and they see that they own something and they see that the fruits of their labor is not in vain that's the most powerful person in the world mm. a kid who knows that a kid who feels like they can that they doing something that's making a difference. So, I mean, you're adding the, the level of ownership in there. And I think we had talked about it earlier on about like just NFTs. And I think just obviously what you're doing, have you touched into the space or have you dove into NFTs at all? Because I mean, you're talking about ownership, you're talking about giving rights, you're talking about longevity. And it seems like you're describing NFTs without even talking about them. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I've delved into it and I'm actually going to be doing more of a um, potential partnership with um. Again, I don't know what I don't know. So basically, I'm going to probably be um, partnering with. There's a there's a group. I, I know he goes by STEM Wars, but I know that he's also got into that digital space of basically providing education for kids to know about NFTs, um, copyrights, and things of that nature. I'm probably going to be partnering with him to actually one educate myself, but also in the technology space of STEM, provide that education as well. So um, let me probably partner with somebody more than trying to figure out myself. Nice. So, I mean, if if you're communicating out into the world, like, I mean, how does somebody get in contact with you? I mean, what's your website? What's your your social media handles? Sure. So um, website is daydreamacademy.com. You can contact me um, via there. Um, My email address is going to just be Nick, N-I-C-K, at neomediagrp.com. 
my social media handle is let's go with the um um my own social media handle which is mr nick who that's mr n-i-c-k-h-o-o that's my instagram handle um and if you want to follow daydreamer um we have a facebook so daydream academy atl on facebook and then instagram is the which is d-a daydreamer dude so those are the different ways you can contact me um i respond a lot faster to facebook and instagram than i do emails because i just get a bunch of them (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going into the bonus round, I got a couple of bonus questions. And the first mm-hmm. one is like my signature one that I, I, I love to ask it again. I don't know what the answer is going to be. But if you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Good Lord. Uh... <laughs> hmm. Leonardo da Vinci. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He, um, that's one of, okay, speaking of books, that's one of my favorite books, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. Because mm. um, he was an inventor, artist. He did everything. He's, he kind of did everything. So I would just love to just get his, man, that brain. Yeah, I'll probably need more than 24 hours. I'll probably like try to resuscitate him for another 24. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a true yeah. version of a renaissance man and, and a being master of all and a jack of all, all at the same time. So I definitely yeah. commend you for that one. Um, going into another question, you know, obviously we're talking about comics to a certain extent. So if you could be a superhero, who would it be and why? Man, I'm going to be Iron Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Iron Stark's. Man. Oh, yeah, because... Yeah, Iron Man. It it he he's he was a big kid. <laughs> still is. Um, it still is. Yeah. I'll keep I keep forgetting. We're not talking about the actual movies. But anyway, yeah, he's still alive. Um, yeah, he's a big kid. Um, but he he's a big kid who had access. Lots of access. <laughs> and he tried to. He's he's one of the very few that, and especially books, that he tries to use his access for other than mm-hmm. for other stuff than his own stuff. So yes, yeah. So it sounds like you're not really talking about Iron Man. You're talking about Tony. Tony Stark's the man behind you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Tony Stark. Let's not let's yeah. Let's be specific. Tony Stark, Stark. not Iron Man himself. Nice. Um, nice. I don't no. like flying anyway, so I wouldn't even want to get in a suit and fly. I'm good. I'm Gucci. <laughs> so going to closing, man, I mean, I, I like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. So the show is yours. The floor is yours. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? Yeah, man. Um, one of the question is, is that, like I said, I, I know you and one of the main reasons why I went on here, wanted to come on here. It's because, again, you were one of the very few people that I knew who just thought different. Why, 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 boss uncaged? And what, what was the, what was the initial perspective, and how did it evolve? Because I know, I know for a fact that you had an initial perspective on things. Very true that is entirely different from what it is now. 
So what was your initial perspective and how did it evolve? I think it, it's kind of like looking like like a like a cocoon or a good representation of like a caterpillar before it becomes a butterfly. So mm. it was kind of like I was stuck at a caterpillar stage for so long underneath like my cerebral brand. Like I had cerebral media, cerebral graphics, cerebral 360. I still own them. I still own the trademarks for all that. But I was so stuck in being like the cerebral, like if you think about X-Men and Professor X, cerebral, 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 cerebral. And I was just like, to your point, Nobody else in the damn world thinks about Cerebral as even a damn character in X-Men. Mm-hmm. So how the hell am I supposed to communicate this brand and co- communicate what I want to do when people can't even comprehend what the hell it is? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, you know, I, I, I kind of had to like reinvent that and rebrand it. And it took me literally having a stroke to kind of wake up and been like, I've have all this content. I have all this information. I think differently, like you said, but my packaging was wrong. And I had to let go of that packaging. I had to rebrand. I was like, what's something I could rebrand this packaging that makes it comprehensible to the layman, but makes them think outside the box? And I was like, okay, boss, by default, the definition of boss is universal. And again, being uncaged. And when I when I think about boss and cage, and if you even look at the icon of the logo, I still think cerebral. I'm thinking about the cerebral yeah. logo on the door. I'm thinking about being inside of that cage and breaking out of it. And I was like, let me just redefine that as being boss and cage. So it was more literal. But the reality is, is that I just took cerebral and skinned it. Mm. Gotcha. You. you made it. You made it. You made it. I I always say this word. You make you made it digestible. Correct. <laughs> For people, yeah. even after yeah. the, the character count, like it was funny. I was on an interview one time, and I was like, you know, thinking about phone numbers. Phone numbers is like the most universal thing that someone can memorize, right? So essentially, uh-huh. you have seven digits, or you have ten digits, or you have eleven digits, or whatever it is. So I was like, I needed to have a paraphrase word that could fit in as a phone number and be broken apart into small parts. So the boss is essentially a four-letter word that a five-year-old could could spell out, and then uh-huh. uncage being like, you know, seven letters much like a phone number it's easy to digest and i was thinking about it logically like that but okay cerebral people can't even spell that damn thing <laughs> yeah so boss yeah. and cage became like a uniformity and then like the the icon and the logo like the story behind that was literally i was at a um a co-working space and i was sitting down working and i'm looking at this whiteboard and there were four arrows and there was a red dot and all the arrows were red and the dot was red and they were fragmented. They were like all over this whiteboard. And that was the only thing on the whiteboard. And I'm like, you know, you just working and you're like, and I was like, what if, and then I went up to the board and I grabbed the arrows and I pulled them together and I grabbed the dot. And I was like, holy shit. Like that thing represents so many different things. It represents being internal, then exploding external uncaged it, it, it represents like kind of like the singular wireless it's kind of like a person jumping out it's like there's so much different symbolism that you could read from these four damn simple shapes and then once i kind of created that illustration i sat on that logo for like at least six years before i rebranded and came out with sa grant with that logo in there and then uh-huh. finally it then led into boss and cage but i've had that logo for like at least eight years just sitting in my archives isn't that crazy man it's like the things that it's like a you you broke down the Da Vinci Code, but yet again, it wasn't the right time for people to to see it. Like man, it's just it just amazing to me, like how especially in the music world, how you hear that someone was sitting on this track for like six or seven plus years, 
I love, I love, and I'm fascinated when I watch movies or TV or listen to music to hear the process of how this happened. Yes. Like I'm you like people like I'm so amazed about how one song was made for a particular artist, but it eventually went to someone in who has a entirely different style, mm-hmm. entirely different flow. Like I think um one of the one of the songs from the throne um in Paris. Mm-hmm. Did you know that song was originally supposed to be for Pusha T? I had no idea. And it was like they made a song, Jay-Z and Kanye made that song so hot, but that was not originally supposed to be for them. Mm-hmm. And I just love hearing stuff. I love hearing stuff, how things just came together, the, the creative process of it. So that's pretty dope, man. Six years. Yeah, bro. Six years. It has been sitting, literally it's been sitting in a damn hard drive. It was before I even had like really... Google Drive is what it is. So I think I yeah. had it on like an external hard drive and then oh, I moved it to Dropbox drive. and then moved it from Dropbox to Google Drive. And then finally I was like thinking of concepts for this brand. And then I was like, dude, I'm, I've been sitting on the, this beautiful ass illustration that's so simplistic, but it means everything that I want to represent in four geometric shapes plus a circle. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, back to your music thing. I think the music thing is definitely great. I mean, if you ever watched like the Wu-Tang um, Hulu special, Season two, episode three, when RZA broke down, that that when, that did it for me. I was like, "Yo, that did it for me right there." When 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 he basically rewinded the guy and he basically moved one of the guys out and yeah. he's basically having a conversation with the drummer, I was like, "Yo, he visualized if, what music creation is." I was like, "If this this needs to be in every creative process, not even just creative process, this just needs to be in every process." Period. Yeah. That, yo, yeah. you're right. That was Episode. like so insane. And see, and see, that's the thing about it. It's like creativity. People, people have this thing where creativity is not for, it's not entrepreneurial. No. Everything you do as an entrepreneur has to be creative. Mm-hmm. How you, how you creatively going to fix this budget? How are you creatively going to complete this project when you did not get the financing that you thought you were going to get? How are you going to creatively finish something when someone backs out of it, someone you contract backs out of it? Yeah, yeah. It's funny it's, that you brought up that those two, two keywords that people don't usually hear. It's creative and finance. And then you go to a finance guy that, that's trying to find like um, capital for something. And he was like, well, I have to go to figure out some creative financing to, to move the yeah. money from this project to that project. That's the only time you really hear that word associated to finance. But the reality to what you're saying is that they have to be creative with the numbers. They have to be creative with the laws. They have to be creative to figure out, well, if I need $100,000 and I have this property, do I take out the equity and enroll that? All of that shit is just being creative and understanding the principles of that particular discipline. Yeah, and you 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 have to again. True people who make money get paid to find solutions, mm-hmm. and ain't nothing more creative to finding a solution to a problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man. That. yeah well, I mean, you got any other questions that you want to ask? 
Nah, man, I'm good. It was good catching up with you, bro. Again, I was like, I said, I have to put him on the spot with this whole Matrix video game thing. He, I was like, I was like, why is that? Why did that still blow my mind twenty years later? Because I mean, I think it was just kind of like everyone was was trying to figure it out for what it was, but they wasn't. Lo- and again, we were in a technical environment. So yeah. logically thinking about floppy disks and, and, and hard drives and video games, it, it's like Ready Player One is essentially a variation of Matrix. It's like all of these movies that have come out afterwards, Matrix was kind of like the predecessor setting the, the bar. So again, to think out the box back then, it was just kind of like, it just made sense. To me, it didn't make sense. And that's what I'm saying. You were, think, you were thinking out of the box and we were saturated by so many different artists and so many people who we're thinking out the box on other different things. Mm-hmm. And I need, I need, I can't stress enough the fact that you said it was like a, a game that time there was no grand theft auto. There was no, there was no game. That's why it blew my mind when you said game. Cause I was like, there ain't no game that has this real world, you know, it was more fun at street fighter. That was it. <laughs> there was no role playing. I mean, final fantasy, but, not not to the extent that you were saying the matrix was mm-hmm. so and then again come to find out 20 years later you were on the freaking note but anyway yeah <laughs> crazy man well i definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule man i think that this episode was long overdue and it was well worth it and i think anyone that's listening to this like just to hear how creative you are with like your strategies and how you can take a book and transform that book into a platform and then also fill the void. I think that is like the key takeaway from this episode is that this motherfucker figured out how to fill a void by using a creative vehicle that's never been used to fill that void before. That's ingenious in itself, man. I definitely appreciate you coming on the show today. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. And we're definitely going to keep in touch, definitely catch up. Don't want to catch up with the, with the other fellas and everybody else, man. For sure, man. That's a grant. Over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com. Or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook become an uncaged trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash freebook.